Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody this morning. We are going to start this morning with the sermon as opposed to with singing, just to change things up a little bit. Um, and it's going to be kind of a different sermon. So I will hopefully encourage and get some participation from you guys for this sermon because um, it will be very boring if it's just me the whole time because there will be a lot of dead open space for you guys to talk. So um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to begin this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. You are an awesome God and you have done great things for us. Everything that we are, everything that we do, our entire being belongs to you. Truly, as the word says, you are our father. You have adopted us as your children. You have made us inheritors with Jesus so that we might gain eternal life. And that is a great blessing. Lord, we deserve much less than what you have given us, but you have sent your son to die for us. So Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you want to, I'm going to read a short passage from the book of Jude just to give us some context to what we're trying to do here. Jude, when he begins his book here, his little letter, he says, Beloved, this is verse 3, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is where we as a church want to go over the next little while, is to the faith delivered once for all to the saints. And we want to, last week Reese preached about God and who God is, and specifically who God is, as he has said, not the way that we humans typically perceive God. And this morning I want to talk about an overview of the basics of our faith, what we believe as Christians, and I want I want to hear from you when there are questions, when there are when there are things said that you don't understand. I want to hear from you because I want us to together work our way to a basic understanding of the foundational things that bring us together as Christians. So the first thing though, before we get into that, is I want to know from you what is Christianity? I want to know what you have to say. If somebody was to ask you, what is Christianity? Or what does it mean to be a Christian? I want to know what you would say. There we go. So, 
Okay, so you have repented of your sins. Confession and belief. And Jesus. Yeah. Follower of Christ. Follower of Christ. Okay. Anything else? Are we missing anything? Yeah. You have changed because you have repented. You have changed because you have repented. changed because you have repented. Okay? Anything else? Okay. Let's start with that. So, the next question is, where is that in the Bible? So we know this one, confess and believe. That one's in Romans 10. Because what was the passage again, Steve? Romans 10, 9. Oh, you want me to read it? Yep. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay. So, Christianity, at its heart, is confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. Amen. Okay. Where is it in Scripture that your name is written in the book of life? Anybody want to find that and read it? That's going to be in the book of Revelation. Then we 
Jesus before his father. So that's a great promise that we have, and that is another aspect of what it means to be a Christian or what is Christianity. So the next one, you have repented, and you believe in Jesus, and you go to heaven. Where is that found? salvation through Jesus. Um, Another great place to look at this is in Acts chapter 2, when the people heard Peter after his first sermon. They heard this and were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there is repent, believe, be baptized, And what's the promise? You'll be forgiven of your sins. And not only will you be forgiven of your sins, but you will also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we're told that this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for as many as the Lord himself will call near. So there is repenting and belonging to Jesus because, and this goes back to the book of life. We belong to him because our names are written in the book of life. And he will stand and confess us before the Father. Okay. Follower of Christ. Luke 9. Luke 9. 23. Okay. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Actually, the rest of it's good, too. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Great. So we have a promise and a command put together. So the command, if anyone would come after me, he would deny, he must deny himself. And what's the promise? If you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. So there's the promise that's given to us in light of the fact that if we are willing to deny ourselves and go after him and follow Jesus, that we will be saved. Um, All right. And you have changed because you have repented. So I think we saw a little bit of that, but where... Even better is it that you have changed because of your repentance. Second Corinthians five, new creation. Second Corinthians five. This is verse seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself to us, us to himself, 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we have changed because we have repented, because we have turned from our sins, we are now following Christ, and because of that, we are new. The old is gone, the new has come. So, Romans, cha- or not Romans, um, he, Romans. Yeah, Romans chapter 12. That's, I was thinking Romans 12. Um, in Romans 12. It's also Romans 6. Yeah, and Romans 6. 6. Okay. You want to read that? Yeah, I was, I was going to read. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Romans 8, Romans 12. Right through Romans, honestly. Like Romans 7 talks about... We do not do, we're, we're trying to avoid the things that we don't want to do. We want to live in Christ. Romans 8, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Amen. Right? Yeah. We are debtors to the, uh, it says in Romans 8, 12, so the brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Have a Father. Uh, like, all, mm-hmm. all the way through, it's yeah. like, you're new. Right. The spirit helps you to be new and to, and to live the life that God calls you to live. Right. Absolutely. Okay. So, one thing that this had, that was the theme throughout it, is that we, Christianity means to be saved. That came up over and over again. That we have salvation, that we will be saved, that we're going to be saved. This came up over and over and over again. What is salvation? What what are we saved from? Because we're told over and over again that we need to be saved. What do we need to be saved from? Death. We need to be saved from death. Yeah. From our sins, that's right. We have to be saved from death. We have to be saved from our sins. And the Bible says that the wages or the payment that comes from sin is death. So in order to be saved from death, we first have to be saved from our sins. So we have to be saved from our sins. What else do we have to be saved from? Or is there anything else? The wrath of God. The wrath of God. So it says in Romans chapter 1 that the wrath of God has been placed on the ungodly. And, that, and those people suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. And we need to be saved from the wrath of God. We are told in the book of 1 John that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And propitiation is a big fancy word that means that Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself so that we don't have to have it upon us. So when Jesus died on the cross, he took the wrath of God on himself. And we now are saved from our sins because of that. Now, we, I'm going to go back to Romans 10 because that's really important because, because Jesus did that, went to the cross, propitiated God, he took the wrath of God, then 
what do we have to do? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's what we do in response to what God did. So that is Christianity at its most basic form. And we can take it a lot further than that, but at its basic, it is people being saved from their sins by Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. That's the basis. Yeah, John. If I can say something on Romans 10, 9. Yeah. Uh, I've often reflected on the key words because it's a short, simple verse. But it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So I think, what does confession mean if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord? If you confess, it, it doesn't say to state it, it doesn't say profess, it doesn't say recite, it doesn't say anything like it says confess. So uh, a person who wants to really know what that means would well understand what the word confession entails. That's a very, very important term. And then same with belief. That doesn't say to think. It doesn't say to have an opinion on. It doesn't say to be aware of. It says to believe. So these words, confession and believe, are all important. And um, it's a very simple, short verse, but those words are uh, just so key to understanding what that really means, what that really is about. Right. So the, the idea then is not just a bare saying with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Because just saying something with our mouth without actually, first of all, understanding some of what's behind it and making that statement exclusively to all other statements. Because that's what we're doing, and that's what, in the first century, the people would be expected to offer a pinch of incense on the altar and say, Caesar is Lord. Which was them acknowledging that Caesar was a god that they must worship, and that they must give service to, and that they must give deference to. And when Paul says that if you confess Jesus is Lord, you are saying no one else is. You are saying Jesus alone is Lord. So this gets us into where I want to go for the next part of the sermon is that right there, that confession, Jesus is Lord, is a doctrine that we believe. It's part of a doctrine that we believe. And that doctrine, that means a set of beliefs about a particular thing. And we are required as Christians to believe certain things if we're truly going to confess Jesus is Lord, and if we're truly going to believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. So over the last 2,000 years, there have been many different people who have talked about what Christianity is, and about what it means that Jesus is Lord, and what it means that God raised him from the dead, and all of these things. And very early on, there was a, there was a creed. And a creed is a set of statements of belief that came out that was the basis of what Christians believe. So what I want to do today is I want to look at this creed. It's called the Apostles' Creed. And we're going to look at it together and go over some of the basic 
the basic things in this creed that define Christianity as a religion, as the religion that we all belong to, that religion that we belong to as children of the Father. So I'm going to pass these out if uh, you want to take one. And there's 25 of them, so there's probably not enough for everybody, but take one. So, this is a very simple creed. I'm going to read it. I want you to read along with me. You don't have to say it out loud at this point, but read it with me. And the first thing that I want to do is just, if there's any terms in here, any things that are said that you don't understand, say something so that we can talk about that before we go into any more depth. Do you want us to interrupt you, or do you want to just... No, I'll, I'll read to the end, and then you can interrupt. You can ask questions after that. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Okay, so right off the bat, is there anything in here that you don't understand? Okay, so Catholic. Catholic is a word that means universal. So the reason is because this was written a very long time ago, some of the wording in it is old and we don't use it in that way anymore. So up until at least the fourth century, if not later, there was no capital C Catholic Church. There was no Roman Catholic Church in the sense that we see it today. So to say the Holy Catholic Church is just to say the universal church, the church that we are all a part of together. That's what the Holy Catholic Church is talking about there. Okay, anything else in here? Descended into hell. Okay, so this is an interesting line, um, and it has a, it's, it's maybe a more contested line. The simplest is that Jesus descended into the grave. So in 1 Corinthians 15, we are told that the gospel that was delivered is that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And this is taking that same, he was crucified, died, and was buried, he descended into hell, or he was put into the ground. That would be kind of the most common way to understand it. There are also people that talk about um, 1 Peter, and in 1 Peter it talks about Jesus uh, descending into Hades to preach to the spirits in prison after his death. Um, but... If you talk to somebody like Adam, he'll say that didn't happen when Jesus, in between Jesus' death and his coming out of the grave, but that happened later. And so that's a contested thing. The simplest way that this is, I think, meant to be is that he was put into the ground. 
He descended into the same place that we all descend into when we die. And that is the earth. Yeah, Adam. I'll just elaborate a little bit on the translation. So, the modern version of the Apostles' Creed that we read right now is actually a translation from a 4th century Latin text. Right. And the Apostles' Creed originally was Greek. And so, that specific line descended into, into hell. Um, it would have been Hades, or Sheol, which goes back to what you said about the grave. More generally speaking, um, Hades, or Sheol, were the first century and earlier understanding of just the place of, of death, right? And so when you read, for example, Psalm 16, or Acts chapter 2, um, when Peter's talking about the Messiah dying, he says he descended, uh, or he died, and, and when he quotes Psalm 16, it says, my um, soul rests secure, because um, he will not abandon me to Sheol, the grave, you not, right? I will not see yeah. decay. And so that's, that's where they get it from, is, is just Christ's descent into the grave, right? And over time, as language developed, and they started translating from the Latin into English, um, what they used for hell in Middle English what was hell, the underworld, which has more of a connotation of, like, Hades, of Hades. and Sheol. Right? So this, well, is again, right. goes to... We're looking at an older document where the translation of Catholic was used, the translation of hell was used. Are they necessarily the best translation? Maybe not. But if we can work through it and understand it together, we can agree with it, understanding what the intention is of it. And so Jesus was in the grave. He did descend into Sheol, and we're told that the Lord, God, did not abandon Jesus in Sheol, but raised him up again. <laughs> what, what language was this originally written in? The Greek? Well, they, there's a few different um, versions of how they think it came to be, but my understanding is that it was Greek originally, and the, there isn't like a huge consensus, but that the apostles wrote it. And it was yeah, just a very early primitive creed. Right? There's so later tradition, on it was passed around and then yeah. Yeah, you look at different church fathers and it was eventually translated into Latin. And that's where we get our most from to translate into English. And and the tradition is that if it wasn't written by the apostles, it was written by those who were the next generation after the apostles. And that they put this together as a basic understanding of what Christianity was at the very beginning before anything had happened in the church. And a lot of things have happened in the last 2,000 years in the church. And so we, a, a lot of churches use the Apostles' Creed to state basic Christianity in a nutshell that we all Christians can agree to together. So if there aren't any other questions about particular wording or anything like that, I want to go through it just briefly. Begotten. We did not. So that would probably be able to Absolutely. So one of the one of the things that you'll find in other creeds is that the it's said that Jesus was begotten, not made. Because we don't believe that Jesus was created at some point. We believe that Jesus is God and that he has eternally existed as God. However, 
we do see over and over and over again in Scripture, and we quoted John 3.16 today, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is often how it's translated in the King James and stuff. And that word begotten is, we are told in Scripture that Jesus, the Son, proceeds from the Father, comes from the Father. And we are taught that the Holy Spirit comes from both the Father and the Son. So there's a, a coming from the Father and the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There is a particular kind of relationship that the Father and the Son have. Now, this idea of begottenness has been talked about by theologians for centuries, and there's still disagreement on whether Jesus always existed as son to father, or if that became that way at some point in what we would call time. Um, and yeah, I'm not going to get into that very much, um, because what we need to understand by begotten is that Jesus came from the Father. He was sent from the Father into the world. And just as in the book of Genesis, when Abraham is spoken to by God, God says to Abraham, take your son, the, the beloved son that you, or the, the son that you greatly love. And that's the same kind of idea of the begotten, that, I, that Isaac was the begotten son of Abraham, the dearly loved, dearly beloved son. And that's who we have in Jesus, is the dearly beloved son of the Father. Does that make sense to everyone in some way? These are all things that can be expanded on much further than this. What I want to do is to get us to understand that basic under... When we say Jesus is Lord, what are we talking about? What do we mean? So, the first... The first sentence here, and this is divided up into these three sections for a reason. We have our first section on the Father, our second section on the Son, and our third section on the Holy Spirit. And those things are divided in that way so that we would see, first of all, that God is triune. That we have one God eternally existing in three persons. And that each one has a distinct role. And each one has a distinct attribute that we that we focus on when we focus on the different persons of the Godhead. So, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. This is what Reese's whole sermon was about last week, is who is God? God is almighty. God is above everything else. God exists for himself, in himself, and does not need anything else in order to exist. He is preeminent. He is first. He is mighty. He is holy. All of those things. He is set apart from human beings. Now, we include maker of heaven and earth because throughout time, people have argued about how the world came around and how human beings came around. And thankfully, we are given an answer to that question in the word, and this is something that is truth, is 100% truth, and is definitional as far as when we look at God, the first thing that we should see, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created it. 
he made it. He made all of it. And so when we say that God, the Father Almighty, is maker of heaven and earth, we are acknowledging he was there first. He existed before any of this. Every single thing that exists only exists because God said that it should or said that it could. We all are defined by a God who created us. So that's the, the essence of what we're saying in I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, is that he gets to decide what happens because he made it all. He is sovereign. He is holy. He is the only God. The next section. And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, which we talked about, the Son proceeds from the Father, and then our Lord. We say, it's, it's interesting, at the very beginning of the Creed, we say, I believe in God, and then we continue on with, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. Because he is the Lord of all of his people, not just my own Lord. I don't get to just decide, I'm going to make Jesus Lord for me. Because he is our Lord. So this, the one thing that we need to remember is this is meant to be spoken by the church. By the people of God. Because we are saying, I believe in this. I believe in Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. Um, it's also a declaration about the state of the universe. Right. That our encompasses all things that have been created. Right. Not just the church. Yeah. Jesus is Lord of the church, certainly. But he is Lord of all things. He is the ruler of the cosmos. Right. So this comes from the book of Matthew. After Jesus rose from the dead, he came to his disciples and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus declared, everything belongs to me. I own it all. It's all mine. So, in the same way that we state that, that the Father, being the maker of heaven and earth, gets to decide what happens, so we also say that Jesus has authority and owns it all. So when the, when the devil came to Satan, or sorry, when Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness and said to him, bow down before me and I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the earth. Jesus knew, I don't need to bow down to this creature that I created to gain all authority because I'm going to take it for myself when I die and rise again. When I defeat death, I'm taking it back. It all belongs to me. Can I interject just for a second? Yeah. So, just going along with that, we're talking about how Christ is Lord and, and, and God and all those things. So the beginning of the creed says that the Father is the maker of all things. Right? And so, we also see that he delegates that to the Son. So when we read Hebrews, the beginning of Hebrews says that in the last days he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him, heir of all things, and made the universe through him. 
The Son is the radiance of God's glory and exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Okay? So, the writer of Hebrews acknowledges God as God, but then he says that God has chosen his Son to make the universe. And if we read Colossians, it says that he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him we have redemption the forgiveness of sins, because he is the image of the invisible God. For everything was created by him, just like Hebrews said, in heaven and on earth, the, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the first born from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. And further to that, when in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, God said, let there be light. He spoke, and it was done. And in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. God speaking, the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So the word of God, Jesus, through Jesus, the Father created the world. Through the word that he spoke. Carrying on in this, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he was born of the Virgin Mary. Um, actually, I'm going to no, I'm gonna jump back a little bit. First, Jesus Christ. I just want to make a comment on this. We believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. He is the Messiah, the Christ. That means he's the anointed one that was prophesied in the Old Testament that he would come and save the world. That's, that's what, when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus, the Christ, who came to save the world. That's, that's one of the things we're declaring when we say Jesus Christ is Lord is that he is the Messiah. He is the one that was prophesied about. So he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Now the reason that this is important is because in the book of Isaiah, and this is quoted in the New Testament, it says that, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's why this is important is because we are told in prophecy that the virgin would conceive, and then we are told how it happened, the Holy Spirit did it. And we are told who the child is. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when we say he was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, we are confirming God's prophecy is true. Jesus did not come from an earthly father. He came from the Holy Spirit. And he is God with us. That's what we're saying when we say that. Now, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. It might seem odd that we include the name of the man who put Jesus to death. However, what we're saying when we say he suffered under Pontius Pilate is that this happened in history. Mm -hmm. Something, a man in history named Pontius Pilate condemned Jesus to death. And that's important because we are not like any other religion that 
has things that sort of fit into history, but then once you go far enough back, they kind of fade away. We have a historical faith that is based on fact. And one of those facts is that Pontius Pilate condemned Jesus to death. Now, he was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell on the third day he rose from the dead. I talked about that coming from 1 Corinthians 15. This is the core. It's in the middle of the creed because this is the core of our faith. Is that Jesus was crucified, died, was buried, and rose again. That's the core of what we believe. We come to it from the Father Almighty... And after it, we're going to get to the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. But in the middle is Jesus and what he did on the earth. So that's what we're saying when we talk about that. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. This, again, and the whole creed is taking many, many, many things from scripture and in order to fully go through this, I'd have to go through most of Scripture. However, we have particular things that are worth bringing up when we talk about these doctrines. This is in Hebrews chapter 10. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. So we are talking about the Son of God making sacrifice for sins, and after he did that, he ascended and now sits next to his Father, waiting until all of his enemies should be put under his feet. That is what we are talking about when we talk about he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Is that he, and this goes back to the authority that he has, is that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he now sits and waits until his enemies are put under his feet. Well, it's also, like, in the Old Testament, they had to make sacrifices, like, all the time, like, every yeah. single day. And that's why it says there that a priest stands daily at a service. Yeah. Because a priest was always, there was always another sacrifice to be made. He had to keep on going. And so for him, if a priest was to sit down, that was like saying, the work is done, there's no more sacrifices to be made. And the Old Testament priests had no right to say that. He can't, they can't decide that there's no more sacrifices. And if you look at the Old Testament, you kind of pay attention a little bit. The good priests were standing and the bad priests were sitting down. In the book of 1 Samuel, there's a guy named Eli, and he's a big, fat priest who's sitting down all the time. And it's because he's not doing his job. But Jesus, when he offers his sacrifice, he, because he's the king, because he's God, gets to say, and that's the last one. And so then he goes and he sits down because it's over. There's no more sacrifices to be made. He's done it. The job is done. And now he's got other things to be doing. So, it is finished. That's what Jesus yeah. said on the cross. That's right. Yeah. Is that it is finished. Yeah. And then the next line is, From there he shall come again to judge the living and the dead. And we are promised that Jesus is not leaving this world forever, but that he will come again. And that in his coming again, he will judge 
all men. And what do you want when you are being judged by him? You want your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life so that he will stand and confess you before the Father. That finishes the section on Jesus. Although he's throughout the rest of this, but this is the Lord. When we say Jesus is Lord, all of that needs to be in that proclamation. We are confessing all of these things when we say Jesus is Lord. It's not just, you can't just use words and not understand what they mean. Now, as a child, you may have a child, there are children that have a childlike faith that believe in God because they know he exists. And over time, they learn who he is. But eventually, you have to know who he is and confess him as Lord. Moving on, I believe in the Holy Spirit. This is the next line because now that we've talked about the Father and the Son, we would be remiss if we did not talk about the Holy Spirit because he is also God, part of the Godhead, the third person of the Trinity who comes from the Father and the Son. Notice he said he, not it. Right. The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not a state of being. He is a person. He is a person. And when we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, what we are also saying is, I believe that he dwells in me. I believe that just like in Acts, what we read earlier, when Peter said, repent and be baptized, his his promise was, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit is him coming to dwell in us. To allow us to serve God well. To give us the strength and the ability to serve God properly. The last bit of this all has to do with the Holy Spirit. So remember that as you read through this. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. The universal church doesn't exist without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church is the believers across time who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Not even just across the earth, but across time. Every believer from the time that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to today is part of the Holy Catholic Church, the universal church that belongs to Jesus. Everyone who has the Holy Spirit has their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We believe in the communion of the saints. Now that comes directly out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we use the word communion oftentimes to talk about this, the bread and the cup, because in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, this is verse 14, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a communion in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a communion in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. So when we say the communion of saints, we are saying we all are one body. We belong to Jesus, and we are part of his body, and he is the head. We believe the forgiveness of sins. We talked about that at the beginning. The essence of what we need to be saved from is sin. 
And so we must have the forgiveness of sins. And once we have the forgiveness of sins, then we have the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And so this gets to when you have repented and you belong to Jesus and you go to heaven. You are given life everlasting in a resurrected body. We don't believe that your spirit goes off and your body is left in the ground and it dies and goes away and it never comes again. We believe that Jesus raises us all up in physical bodies and we enjoy him forever in the new heavens and the new earth, in the kingdom of God. So this is the essence of what Christianity is. And there is much more to it. And over the next few weeks, we as the preachers want to bring different aspects of these doctrines that are given to us in very plain form in the Apostles' Creed that we all might understand better who Jesus is so that we might love him, who the Father is so that we might love him, who the Holy Spirit is so that we might love him. We want to understand what happened in history that resulted in the forgiveness of our sins. And we want to share that with all of you so that you too might have joy in Christ, that you might know him better. Because that is a big part of what Christianity is, is to know Christ and to know him better every single day. So we are going to spend some time now in singing and we are going to do what our normal first part of our service is. So there's still opportunity if you want to talk, if you want to read scripture. Um, but let's sing together, and then at the end we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together, since we believe in the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins. And that's what's represented by the bread and the cup. Um, can we digress just for a second?